You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. Well, grab your sermon notes there. Let me begin with a question this morning. How many of you, when you begin to hear about the prediction of Hurricane Florence, say last Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, you begin to hear about what might happen with the hurricane, started to make preparations for what they were predicting? Yeah, probably a lot of us, probably a lot of you who just raised your hand, you went, you lived through Hugo, so you know what it's like to be not prepared, right? I know my wife, my wife told me on Tuesday, she said, uh, hey, you need to go to the store, pick up some bottled water and a few other things. And so I show up at the grocery store on Tuesday only to discover that I was too late. Someone had already been like the water shelf was completely empty. The store was packed, people getting the stuff they needed. And from there, I went to the gas station because you're supposed to what? Fill up your tank with gas, right? You don't want to be on empty when the storm's coming. And so I had to wait in line to get gas. Well, individuals were preparing for that which was predicted to come. Um, Now, I think in the same way, we as believers should be preparing for what we believe God is going to do. We should be preparing for the greater things that God wants to do in our lives and for our congregation. Last Sunday, just a quick review, last Sunday we were in Joshua chapter 1, and we talked about how God said to the children of Israel, hey, I have a greater future for you. I have the promised land for you. It's yours to inherit, but get this, they had to go in and possess the land. In other words, they had to fight some battles. They had to conquer some cities. God gave them a greater future, but it was their responsibility to possess the greater future that God had for them. I think this principle is like consistent throughout Scripture. Here's the principle. Only God can do the miraculous. Would you agree with that? Only God can do the supernatural. You and I can't. You and I don't have the ability to do the supernatural. But what I discover most of the time in Scripture is that God chooses to do the supernatural through us. Only God can do the supernatural, but he chooses to do it through you, through me, through our lives. In other words, he requires our preparation, our partnership, our faith in the process of God doing only that which God could do. There's a great story. I'm going to get to John 6 in just a moment. There's a great story recorded for us. In 2 Kings chapter 4, jot that down. You can read this story later. 2 Kings chapter 4. It's a story of a widow uh, whose husband had died. He was a prophet. He died, and the widow was left with his debt. And the de- those who her husband owed money to are coming to collect the debt, and she has nothing to give them. And so they are about to take her two sons into slavery. So not only has she lost her husband, she's about to lose her two sons. So she's in a state of crisis. So she calls upon the prophet Elisha. And it's interesting, as she invites Elisha into the situation, Elisha asks her this question, what do you have in your house? An interesting question. What do you have? In the midst of her situation, what do you have? And the woman said, well, all I have is a little oil. Olive oil. And we don't know if a little oil was like, a pint jar or less than a pint jar but what we know is she had a little oil that's all she had so uh, Elisha says to her go and ask your neighbors for jars get as many jars as you can don't just get a few get a lot so you can imagine they go out gathering containers let's say five gallon containers and they gather all they can I don't know maybe there's 10 maybe there's 15 maybe there's 20 they gather all they can 
And they bring it in, and Elisha says, start pouring the oil. Now all she has is a little pint jar of oil. And she starts pouring, and it keeps coming and flowing and flowing. One jar is full. She goes to the next. Next jar is full. Five-gallon containers. And, the, and it's like there's this endless supply of oil. And then what we see is Elisha says, hey, take the oil. Go and sell it and pay your debt. My point is, is God began with what the widow had. He did the miracle out of what she had. There was this endless supply, but it required what? It required her partnership. It required her bringing to the table what she, what she had. We see, we see the same in the story of Moses, Exodus 3 and 4. When God called Moses to be the deliverer for the children of Israel, his first response was not, okay, I'll go do it. No, his first response was, I don't want to do it. He was reluctant. God said, no, I want you to do it. He said, no, I don't want to do it. And he gave me given all these excuses. And finally, God revealed his power to Moses. And it's interesting. He says, Moses, what do you have in your hand? He says, staff. Let's throw it down. And he threw the staff down. It became a snake. And then he said, pick it up. This is where faith really happens, right? And he said, pick it up, right? And he picked up the snake and it turned back to his staff. It's interesting. It was that rod, that staff that God used through Moses when he addressed Pharaoh, all the miracles of the plagues. It was that staff for the parting of the Red Sea. It was that staff when water was called forth in the wilderness out of the rock. But God began with what? With what Moses had in his hand. Which is the same thing in the story of David and Goliath. And this little shepherd boy, 1 Samuel 17, this little shepherd boy shows up on the battlefield and he hears this defiant challenge. He says, hey, I'll go. He volunteers to fight Goliath because no one else would. And interesting, King Saul calls him in and says, here, take this armor of a soldier. Take this artillery of a soldier. And David tries it on like it doesn't work. And God says, basically, David, take what's in your hand. What was in his hand? Come on, you know the story. What was in David's hand? A slingshot. Imagine that. A slingshot. God uses a slingshot for a shepherd boy to take out a giant, a lean, mean fighting machine. Great victory was won for the nation of Israel on that day. And God used what was in David's hand. We see the same principle in this story we're going to look at this morning. In, in, John, in John chapter 6, that God worked a miracle, but he did the miracle through a little boy with what he had. See, God starts where we're at and He responds to our faith. Don't miss that. He, he starts where you're at with what you have and then He responds to our faith. And as we're, as we're willing to take what we have and trust God, it's there that God can do the miraculous. Luke one thirty seven says this, For nothing is impossible with God. Encourage your neighbor this morning. Turn to them and say, Hey, nothing is impossible with God. Come on, say it with conviction. Nothing is impossible with God. And Philippians 4.13 says this, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Listen, what I'm confident of today, because I've seen it not only revealed in the Bible, but I've experienced it in my own life, is this, God is able. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or think according to His power, resident, present in our lives. But to be positioned to embrace the great future God has for us, we have to prepare today for what God's going to do tomorrow. Prepare today 
for what he's going to do tomorrow. We have to get ourselves ready as we move forward in faith so that God will do that which only he can do. For you see, God-ordained opportunities will always be greater than your ability. God-ordained opportunities are going to be greater than what you can do, greater than the resources you presently have. Listen, God doesn't bring to us stuff that we can do on our own. If you can do it on your own, guess what? You don't need God, right? If we can do it on our own, we go do it on our own, then we pat ourselves on the back and say, look what I did. But God brings God-sized opportunities to us beyond our human ability, beyond our human resource, so that we have to trust Him, so that we have to be dependent on Him, so that as we lean into Him and as we learn from Him, then He flows His greatness in and through our lives. God invites us into impossible situations so that He can reveal His greatness there. Again, consistent throughout Scripture. It's certainly been consistent in my own God experience. We see this truth in the story we want to read in John chapter 6 this morning. Let me give you just a little background. Jesus has been teaching. Not only has he been teaching, but he's been healing the sick. Some miraculous stuff has been happening. Large crowds are gathering, as you would imagine. And then he hears the news that John the Baptist, his first cousin, has just been beheaded. There's grief. There's sorrow. And so Jesus says to his disciples, hey, let's retreat. Let's go to a solitary place and get some respite. Let's go to a place where we can kind of process the grief and just relax our physical bodies. Well, the problem is, is someone let out the news where they were going, like the press got the news. And so they get to this solitary place. Jesus looks up and here comes a crowd. Now, interesting, a little piece of Bible trivia here. This is the only miracle that Jesus performed that's recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So you can read about the different accounts of the same miracle from different perspectives. But as you read the other accounts of the Gospel, what you'll discover is that there were 5,000 men... That's just men. We would assume that there were also women and children. So we don't know. Maybe there's as many as fifteen to 20,000 people. That's the crowd that Jesus looks up and he sees. And this, this presents what appears to be like an impossible situation for the disciples. But in the midst of the crisis, Jesus does the miraculous. But it all happens because of a little boy. It all happens because of a little boy who's willing... To give his lunch, who's, who's willing to sacrificially give what he has. That's where the miracle happens. So let's read the story. John chapter 1, beginning with verse 6. So sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this, notice, only to test him. Very interesting. Only to test him, for he, had al- he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not, would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. 
There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much, notice, as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Verse 12, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And what an amazing story of, of multiplication. As, as we begin the story, there's too many people and not enough food. But as we come to the end of the story, everyone's eaten and there's more than enough. There's some left over. Now, obviously, the miracle happened because of Jesus, right? He's the multiplier. He's the one that did the miraculous. But don't miss this. I believe the key to the miracle, the key to the story is the little boy. The little boy who was willing to share his lunch and it was in his um, faith, it was in his generosity, it was in his giving that Jesus took this uh, five barley loaves and two fish and multiplied it to feed uh, this large crowd who had gathered. But as we look to this story this morning, the disciples are like flipping out. They're stressed out, they're pressed. Before the miracle happens, it, it, Jesus is is testing the disciples. So he asked them this question like, like how are we going to buy bread to feed all of these people? And if you look to the other accounts of the uh, other accounts of this story in the other Gospels, Matthew, specifically Matthew and Mark, it's interesting that the disciples came up with a number of excuses. Like, you know, Jesus, it's, it's like the wrong place to do this, the wrong place to feed these people. Like markets, they're like, whoo, they're way away. And uh, for men to get to the market, to get, obviously we're in the wrong place. Jesus just sent the people away. And Jesus said, no, you feed them. See, for Jesus, it was always about the people. Always about the people. <laughs> Another disciple said, you know, wow, it's getting late. Oh, Jesus, look, the sun's almost down. Even if we went to the market and we got the food, enough to feed all of these people, and we got back, well, the sun would be down, it'd be dark. Man, it would be chaotic. How could we ever feed these people? Just send them away. And Jesus said, no, you feed them. Another disciple said, well, it would cost way too much. This is too costly. I mean, think about it. We're talking eight months wages of women, just so everyone could have a bite. I mean, not even that they'd have their bellies full, just have a bite. Eight months. So they had all, they had all of their excuses, but Jesus had a plan in mind. While the disciples were panicking because of the number of people, like Jesus saw this opportunity, an opportunity to grow their faith, to meet the need of the people and to prove his divine ability. And he takes this little boy's lunch that was freely given and and he multiplies it. Every person, again, possibly 15,000, 20,000 people, every person present has all that they want. And there's 12 baskets. I like to think of it like this. There's 12 doggy bags left over for 12 disciples so that they would never forget this miracle, this miracle of multiplication. What we discover in this story, friends, is that Jesus is able. He's able to take our little and through our partnership, do the impossible. From this story, quickly, let me talk with you for just a few minutes about preparing the way for the miraculous. How do we make way? How do we prepare the way for the miraculous? First, the first thing we see in this story is that crowds show up where Jesus is present. I think that's really important. I don't want to overlook that. 
The crowds show up where, where Jesus is present. As I mentioned earlier, John the disciple has just been beheaded. So Jesus is in grief, in grief for his cousin who's lost his life, whose life has actually been taken. He's tired. They're trying to get away. But as they're going to this solitary place, they arrive. Jesus looks up and there's the crowd. What the crowd wanted to be where Jesus was at. Why? Jesus was so different than their religion and their religious traditions. The scripture says that, that Jesus taught them as one who had authority. In Jesus, they experienced love and grace. In Jesus, they, they discovered truth that transformed their lives. In and through Jesus, they experienced like power, power that sick people were being healed. I mean, miraculous stuff was happening. So what the crowd sought Jesus at because they wanted to be where he was. And, and I believe the same is true today. I, though we're like hundreds of years separate us from this story, I believe the same is true today. People want to be where Jesus is at. Because where Jesus is at, it's there that life happens. See, people are looking for the love of Jesus and the, and the grace of Jesus and the power of Jesus. Listen, people today in your neighborhood, in our communities, desperate for hope. Now, if you were to say to them, hey, the answer is Jesus, they would say, uh, no, I don't think so. But what they're looking for is hope and love and acceptance. Where do we find hope, love, and acceptance? We all know the answer to that, right? In Jesus. So what? Disciples wanted to send the people away, and Jesus said, no. You feed them. You meet their need. So the crowd, the crowd was, was, was seeking out Jesus. You know, the story of Grace Covenant, the story of this church is really not a story about buildings or properties. It's a story that's all, all about people. It's about people experiencing the love of Jesus and their lives being transformed. Let me tell you just a couple stories really quick. There's, there's Bill's story. Bill's not his real name, false name, but here's his story. Bill was addicted to a substance that had wrecked his life, turned his life upside down, inside out. And someone told Bill, Bill, you need to go check Grace Covenant out. And when he came to Grace Covenant, you know what he discovered? He discovered Jesus. And he found freedom. Freedom from the substances that had wrecked his life. Today, Bill's life has been turned around on focus. Why? Because of Jesus. We happen to be... The avenue, the vehicle through which that happened. But it, it was Jesus. It wasn't me. It wasn't so much this building. But it, it was Jesus in the building. There's Sally's story. Again, not her real name. But Sally went through an ugly divorce. And as is often the times when there's an ugly divorce, there's injury, there's hurt, there's woundedness, there's baggage. And again, Sally, someone told Sally, you need to go. You need to go check out Grace Covenant. There's something happening there. And Sally came to Grace Covenant. You know what she discovered? She discovered Jesus. And in that, she found healing in the wounded places of her life. And she found purpose in life again. Amazing one. Because she experienced Jesus. And then there's Joe. Joe, again, not his real name. Joe's a very successful businessman who had success. But what he didn't have was significance. And again, someone directed him to Grace Covenant. And when he came to Grace Covenant, you know what he experienced? Jesus. Turned his life around. Today he's living his life on purpose and, and with great significance. 
Except for Jesus, it was all about people. And that's why the people sought him out. And we have that same opportunity here as a congregation. Or for you, wherever you go. Why? Because Jesus is in you. So wherever you're at, that's where Jesus is at, right? The first thing we see in this story is, is that the crowd sought out Jesus. They wanted to be where he was at. And then it was there that the miracle happens. Here's a, a second truth we discover in the story of multiplication. It's this. Jesus presents us with situations to grow our faith and reveal his greatness. In other words, Jesus will test you. Some of you say, well, Jesus would do that. Yeah, he will. He will. He, he tested the disciples. If you, if you look back to verse 5, the scripture says, When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip... Other disciples were there. He said to Philip, though, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And then it goes on to say, he asked this only, notice, to test him. For you already had in mind what he was going to do. I think this is very interesting. It was actually a setup. Jesus was setting Philip up. I mean, here's Jesus, the Son of God. He already knew what was going to happen. He already knew how this thing was going to play out. But he asked Philip, he presented this God opportunity, he presented this situation to Philip to test him to know how he would respond. Now Jesus could have seen the crowd and told the disciples exactly what was going to happen, but he didn't. He saw the opportunity to bring them into the presence of the miracle that was going to happen and to grow their faith through the process. Listen, I believe that Jesus does the same today. He presents us with situations to grow our faith and reveal His greatness. He presents those situations not to scare us, not to stress us out, but to stretch us out. To grow us, as He did the disciples. This was a setup, this was a test, so that God could reveal His greatness in the lives of the disciples. It's the challenges of life that stretch us, because Jesus is more concerned about who we're becoming than what we have or what we can give. Let me say that again. Jesus is more concerned, we might say it like this, he's more concerned about what's happening in you than he is through you. If we focus on what he's doing in us, then he can do his work through us. Well, it's the challenges, it's the testings. That's why James would say in, in James chapter 1 verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds or when you have these, these God opportunities. Why? Because they mature us. So Jesus presents us with situations to grow our faith, to reveal his greatness. And for each of us, we have to, deter- we have to determine how we're going to respond. Because when he presents the situation, you can say, yes, I will, or you can say, no, I won't. If you say, no, I won't, you're going to miss it. If you say, yes, I will, then you're going to grow through the process, and God's going to do great things through your life. It really comes down to the decision. Are we willing to step out in faith? To believe for something greater that God would want to do in our lives. That leads us right to the third truth from this story of multiplication. It's this. Big challenges. Here's a word of caution. Big challenges can cause us to lose sight of our big God. Big challenges. Things that look humanly impossible can cause us to lose sight of our big God. When Jesus presents the opportunity to the disciples of feeding the crowd, they're overwhelmed and under-resourced. It's like, 
they have, they have no idea what they're going to do. It's like all of a sudden they forget that they are in the presence of Jesus, the Son of God. They get so overwhelmed by the situation that's before them or the opportunity that's before them as they forget that the one who spoke the world in existence is right there with them. Isn't that amazing? Same thing can happen to us. Before we're too hard on the disciples, same thing can happen to us. We find ourselves at times facing impossible situations, humanly speaking, or, or maybe opportunities, God opportunities that's so much bigger than we are. If we're not careful, what we can do is make the opportunity or the challenge, the crisis, so big that we lose sight of the greatness of God. In other words, the problem eclipses God. And we get, we get short-sighted. We forget. In the midst of that, we forget, we forget who God is. We begin to doubt whether God can or, or whether God will intervene. You know, it's been said that doubt's putting your circumstances between you and God, while faith is putting the promises of God between you and your circumstances. I like that. I'm putting the, I'm putting the promises of God between me and the circumstances, between me and the situation. But like the disciples, we can allow the challenges of life to cause us to lose sight of our big God. It calls us to lose sight of God's ability. We have these these human tendencies, and it's interesting that what we struggle with today is the same thing the disciples struggle with. Let me give you three human human tendencies that we have to deal with when we come to a situation that's bigger than we are, that's like a human impossibility. Here's the first human tendency. We can get paralyzed in analysis and instead of responding in faith. When Jesus presents the opportunity of feeding the crowd to Philip, notice what happens. He immediately goes into analysis mode. He immediately goes into the, the, I mean, he's working the numbers. He's using all of these algebra equations and he's doing the math and he quickly does the math. Oh, Jesus, it's going to take like eight months wages, eight months of a man's wages to like provide for these people. He quickly moves into analysis mode. Trying to solve the problem. And again, I, I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't seek out wisdom. I'm not saying you shouldn't seek out wise counsel. But if you're not careful, you can get so caught in the analysis of the situation that you lose faith to believe for the miraculous. So our first human tendency is, is we can get paralyzed in analysis instead of responding in faith. Here's the second Here's the second human tendency is to look at what we have rather than look to the one who made what we have. We look at what we have possession of rather than looking to the one who made what we have possession of. Notice, notice Andrew's response in the story. Andrew says to Jesus, hey, here's five barley loaves and two small fish. He's got them in his hand. Here's five barley loaves and two small fish. It's a little boy's lunch. It's all we have, and obviously it's not enough. Because, I mean, like this would only feed maybe three or four people, five barrels and two fish. Well, Andrew was so caught up in what he had in his hands that he forgot the one who made his hands. Think about that. Now, oftentimes that's what happens is we get so caught up in what we have 
or maybe the lack of what we have, that, again, we forget the one who made what we have. We forget the one who's the creator. It brings us to a third human tendency. It's this. We let what we cannot do keep us from what we can do. Obviously, the disciples in and of themselves couldn't feed the crowd. So what do they want to do? They wanted to send them away. That was their solution. Jesus, send them away. Jesus, you tell them to go and they'll go and we'll be finished and we can just relax. That was their solution. They were letting what they could not do keep them from what they could do. If we're not careful, the same thing happens in our lives. We come to impossible circumstances or God-sized opportunities and, and we allow what we can't do to, to keep us from what we might possibly be able to do. Listen, this is what I believe. Everybody can do something to make a difference. And in the something that you're doing, might it be that God might there show up and do something miraculous through the something that you're doing. And we think of this present crisis with Hurricane Florence. Listen, there's not, there's not a single person in the room today who by themselves could fully fund all it's going to take to rebuild the coast. There's not one person in the room today who could do that. There's not one person alone in the room today who could provide all the resources that's presently needed. Water, uh, relief supplies, building supplies. There's not one person in the room that could do that. But listen, every one of us could do something to make a difference. Right? But oftentimes we look at what we have and we do nothing rather than taking what we have and doing something. And I believe it's in the doing something, it's in the movement, it's in the faith, it's in the action that God does only what God can do. So what we don't want to do, hear me, we don't want to allow the size of the challenge to cause us to lose sight of the greatness, the greatness of our God. That brings us to the fourth and, and critical truth that we discover in this story. It's this, Jesus does the miraculous when, when we partner faith and action. Where does it happen when we partner faith with action? It was a little boy's faith in what Jesus could do partnered with his action of giving his lunch that made way for the crowd to be fed. It was, it was a sacrificial generosity of the young boy that opened the way for the miraculous multiplication. Now there's a whole lot we don't, we don't know in this, about this story. There's a whole lot that's not, that's not stated. Like, why was the little boy there alone, and why did he have five barley loaves and two fish? And we don't know that. But this is how I like to believe the story happened. And when the scripture's not clear, I think we have some room for speculation. So let me tell you how I think the story played out. I think there was a little boy who had heard about Jesus, had heard about the miracles, the supernatural. He had heard about what Jesus had done and possibly, possibly that this was the Messiah. So he tells his mom, Mom, I, I've got to go. I've got to go find this Jesus. I've heard about what he's done. I, I've heard the stories of how this could be the one that the prophet Isaiah spoke of, the coming of the Messiah, the Redeemer. Mom, I have to go find Jesus. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to walk throughout the country until I find him. And so mom says, hey, if you're going to do that, you might need a sack lunch. So here's some barley loaves and, and two dried fish. Why don't, why, don't, why don't you take this? So here's a young boy who's on his way seeking out Jesus that he might see the miraculous, little knowing that he was the key to the miracle that happened. 
amazing. It happened. Why? It happened because he partnered faith. Faith with action. It was his generosity, his sacrificial generosity. This is what we learn from, from the story and the little boy's response. It's this truth. If you put what you have in your hands into God's hands, he can make a lot out of a little. You take what you have in your hands and you put it in God's hands and it's there that the miracle happens. We, we see this principle in the life of Angez. Angez was born August 26, 1910 in the country of Albania. She was born, her parents blessed her with the name Angez. Well, Angez, fast forward, when she was 17 years old, Angez committed her life, she devoted her life to be a follower of God. She devoted her life to God's service. So she joined the Sisters of Loretta, and she, she was first stationed in, um, at Loretta Abbey in Ireland after taking her religious vows as a nun, uh, Angez changed her name to Mother Teresa. How many of you are familiar with that name? Mother Teresa. Shortly after taking her vows, she shared her what-if dream with the mother's superiors that she was serving under. This is what Mother Teresa said to her superiors. She says, I have three pennies in a dream from God to build an orphanage. And her superiors said this to her, you can't build an orphanage with three pennies. With three pennies, you can't do anything. Mother Teresa smiled and said, I know, but with God and three pennies, I can do anything. With God and three pennies, I can do anything. You know the rest of the story. For 50 years, for 50 years, Mother Teresa ministered to the poorest of poor in Calcutta, India. There, as a result of her service, won the, the Nobel Peace Prize. Now, two decades after her death, listen to the result of her life and the impact of her life. Two decades after her death, the ministry that she started, being missionaries of charity, consists of 4,500 sisters today who are serving in 133 countries around the world. Amazing. And it all started with a young woman who had a dream, had a conviction. Starting an orphanage, she had three pennies, and she had God. And she gave her three pennies to God, and you know the rest of the story today. The Mother Teresa's story is like the story of a little boy who had the sack lunch of five barley loaves and two fish. What They simply gave God what they had, and God did the miraculous through their partnership. So what was true for the little boys, true for us today, as we partner faith in action, as we place what's in our hands in the hands of Jesus, somehow, some way, I can't even tell you how, but somehow, some way, it becomes more than enough. Then God does the miraculous of multiplication when we follow the actions of, of the young boy, as we follow the example of this young boy. He partnered faith in action. He responded in obedience. He acted with generosity, sacrificial generosity. And it was there that Jesus did the multiplication. See, what I've come to discover, what I've come to discover in my own life, in my own faith journey is this. Our place of greatest challenge becomes God's place of greatest provision as we put our trust in Him and take the next step. What do we have to do? Put our trust in Him and take the next step. What do we have to do? We have to take the little that's in our hand and say, God, here it is. Maybe it's three pennies. 
Maybe it's a sack lunch. Maybe it's a, a pint of oil. And you're directed to gather some jars and start pouring. And there's an endless supply. See, God is the only one who can do the miraculous. You can't, I can't. But what does He require? He requires our partnership. That we would partner faith and action. And just as Jesus took the little boy's lunch and made it more than enough, so we can work in your situation today or your, or your future situations as you choose to move forward in faith, as you choose to partner with God. Listen, what would be true for you personally is true for us corporately. Principles are the principles, the truths are the truths. But as we move forward in faith, as God invites us into a God-sized opportunity, listen, you don't have to figure it all out. I don't have to figure it all out. I don't have to analyze the situation. You don't have to analyze the situation. All we have to do is say, God, we're willing, and we're stepping up. And as we step up, God shows up, and He does only what He can do. But it requires, again, what? Your partnership. My partnership. What I know today is God's able. Whatever the situation, God's able. That's what I'm convinced of. It's in that God opportunity. It's in that situation that I believe He wants to consistently, continually bring His greatness for our lives. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank You this morning for this story recorded for us of a little boy who took what he had and he offered it. it was there that you did more than the disciples could have ever imagined. Lord, more than this little boy could have imagined. Lord, you took his little and you multiplied it to meet the need with, with leftovers. <laughs> Amazing. God, in this story, we see what happens as we simply respond in faith, as we partner faith and action. We see what happens as we're willing to step into what you're doing. Lord, it brings us hope, hope in our lives, hope in what we're processing through. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.